0: I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. Davida G. Breyer was born in Miami, Florida and spent her formative years in Florida, Minnesota, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. She worked as a youth sports photographer, substitute teacher, jewelry maker, bookseller, and ATM cleaner. Davida discovered the world of zines and independent publishing in 1994, and Baltimore City Paper awarded her with Best Local Zinester in 2000 and Best Zine in 2003. She won the Literary Deathmatch Baltimore 3.0 event in 2011, and she spent the last two decades in various roles within the book industry and currently works for Johns Hopkins University Press. DeVita lives in Maryland with her family, a pack of wee rescue dogs, a rescue tortoise, and two companion chickens.
1: Welcome, DeVita. Hi, It is great to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Publishers
0: Weekly says of your novel Sinkhole, a clever plot and astute characterizations
1: help drive this coming-of-age tale with a malevolent twist. What can you tell us about Sinkhole? Sinkhole is a little bit of a few things. So I started out thinking I was writing suspense. I found out later on because I got, a, I guess I got a little too deep into some of my characters' heads. It's also more of a coming of age novel and I kind of couldn't keep my voice out of it. So there's a bit of dark humor in there too. I was talking to Holly Hamilton and Hasselbeck last week. She has a book called
0: American Blues. It's her belief that coming of age can happen at any age, that all of our novels in some form can be coming of age, whether it's about young people or older people, because we're all coming of age. And I thought that was really clever.
1: In some ways too, my characters, because they have this trauma, they have this stuff that happens when they're teens and they never really resolve it. They don't fully come of age until they're actually in their thirties because they can't really get past it. And so while it talks a lot about their lives when they're, you know, 16, 17, 18, that coming of age component doesn't happen until they really get the resolution they need. I
0: had a similar thing with my second book, The main character, we start when she's 16, but it really focuses more on her in her 30s. When they start putting in the metadata, it ended up being coming of age. I was like, how is that? Because I never saw it as coming of age. But that was my initial reaction
1: as well. (laughs) I was like, wait, it's suspense. Didn't I write suspense? I thought, I thought I wrote suspense. No, it was a good conversation. I'm a book person. I've been doing this for a long time, and I even I didn't recognize what I had unintentionally done, and what that you know might mean for the book to kind of look at it in different ways.
0: It is interesting what these algorithms and having the metadata become this big piece of the puzzle that we don't think about that when we're writing these books. We're all about story, and then you turn it over and all of a sudden it all has to do with these algorithms and where it fits on the shelf. And like, okay, it's not how yes. I thought, but as long as it's going to print and people are reading it. Awesome.
1: And even at that, I thought about, okay, what bicep codes, how do I want this job? Yeah. What do I think it is? And that just changed when it lived inside my head. It was what I thought it was. And then you get different views on it from other people. No, okay. That might not be how I saw it, but I can see where you're coming from. If you're
0: listening and you are a newbie writer, All this discussion about the algorithms and the BISAC codes may sound like we're speaking Swahili or something, but just Google it and then don't worry about it till your book is done.
1: It's one of those, if you're new and you're figuring it out, ask someone in the industry. I think we're all happy to try to explain the second language that you have to know to understand everything that's happening. Absolutely. Tell me about the plot. So, Michelle Miller has been living in exile in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and she gets called home by her brother. She has to go home. Her mother's in the hospital. She's kind of forced to confront all these memories she's been working so hard to suppress and begins to unfold on that drive home as to what happened, you know, her best friends when she was living in the small town of Laredo, Florida, what eventually happened and why she never came home. Once she gets there, she's forced to confront the fact that everything that she thought she knew, everything that she believed all this time might not actually be the truth. What she believed about herself might not be true. The things that she was told by other people might not be true. She has to try to figure that out, but she's also trying to repair these relationships she damaged because she just kind of bailed 15 years ago and never said why. It sounds like she has good reason.
0: Forward Reviews mentions your book's vibrant settings. I think I read something about the setting is a character. All in itself. What made you set the novel there?
1: I did end up using real locations. I spent some time on the internet. I knew I wanted to set it in Florida because there is a texture, there's a smell, there's a taste, there's a feel, there's it just it has a lot. And and I grew up in South South Florida. I wanted a little bit more of a rural location than I had because I really wanted to kind of give that claustrophobic isolation that a lot of kids in the 80s felt. There's no internet. Your world is what's right around you. And so I, I spent some time on Google. I spent some time looking at paper maps and I ended up finding this little town in the middle of central Florida called Lareda, Florida. And it seemed to fit. I needed a mixture of kind of rich and poor. And Google Earth is great because you can go down every single street. You know, is this what I'm thinking? And there was a nearby city, town, city, Sebring. And so I'm like, I think this is it. I think this is where I want it to be. I keep writing and I looked online to figure out, okay, I, I need a tree. I want a tree. I need a tree for my plot. And I decided to put this tree near a lake that I found and I'm looking up the lake. Well, what's this lake about? And it turned out that, you know, according to online and again, you know, you don't know what's true or what isn't, but multiple sources claimed in indigenous languages, the name of the lake translated to place where people have died. And I'm like, wow. that's it. Here's my sign here's where I'm mm-hmm. setting. We're in now. So it is, it's a, a tiny town in the middle of the blue-green splotches you see in the middle of central Florida, near Lake Estipoga in Larita Florida. And, and <laughs> I did visit. I, I took a trip down. I was maybe three quarters of the way done with the book, roughly. I was like, I need to make sure I'm getting this right. So I, I took a trip down. I stayed in Sebring. I visited Larita I took an airboat out onto the lake. It was everything I had hoped. It's that wild, wild part of Florida where you've got alligators and you've got llamas sitting kind of side by side. There's cows over there and turkeys and cranes. It's just, it's that Florida that I remember as a child where there's just a whole lot of the natural element going on. It's a beautiful place if you like that old wild kind of Florida. How does this town and the book compare? The funny thing is mostly where I grew up in Florida were urban areas. I was often not that far from the Everglades. So I would angle to get out to the Everglades every chance I got. And I grew up in many urban places, but I also moved around a lot. I did live in very rural areas as well. So I was trying to kind of think about all of those pieces and how they might fit together. I knew kind of where I wanted my characters, that feeling and and particularly that feeling in a time and a place, you know, a lot of it's set between like 1984, 1986. You could get a sense of what this place would have been like. My day job, I work for Johns Hopkins University Press and I run the distribution division. I'm the director of Hopkins Fulfillment Services. But then I also have a role as the co-director of marketing and sales for the books division. So my roles are essentially making sure our fulfillment operations are and our clients are doing everything they need to do to fulfill their mission of academic publishing And then I also am responsible for selling books for not only Johns Hopkins University Press, but about half of our clients use us for sales representation. It's a unique role and that developed because of just circumstance, but the sales piece was something I had done in my earlier career. And there was a need and it worked really well, but it's good to have that visibility into the machinery. I mean, publishing is this big machine and and you kind of need to know how all the pieces work to make it all make sense. And that's part of my role is understanding that and then making sure everything is moving like it needs to on each side of things.
0: Has that exposure to that side of publishing informed your writing or how you approached your publishing journey?
1: I think in some ways it makes me a realist. I mean, I know how difficult this industry is. I know the stats on sales. I know all of those pieces. And yet, it didn't let that stop me. I think because I've always been around mission-driven publishing, I understood I could do something for the love of it. And Mm -hmm. that did influence what I did. The funny thing in all of this is that I did initially think, well, I know I want a publisher. I know I don't want to self-publish. I need the infrastructure. I need the support. I don't want to do this all by myself. I want to collaborate. And when I initially sent it out to a couple of agents, a couple of publishers, it really wasn't done. The manuscript still needed a lot of work. I jumped the gun and I got discouraged and I set it aside in early 2021 stress of the first year of the pandemic was bad I ended up in the ER I had and they were like yeah no I think this is distress it was probably just stress induced causing my like blood pressure to kind of go wonky mm-hmm. and feel funny and they're like yeah no I think you kind of need to calm it down a bit I was like I need to do something for myself it's January it's cold I hate being outside in the cold. I'm going to pick my novel back up again let me do a final edit and see where it goes And it was happenstance. One of my clients sends me their new title list for the fall season. I'm like, "There's a psychological thriller on here. That's unusual for university press. This is kind of interesting. I know the managing editor. I was like, hey, is this something new you're doing? What's going on? And he explained how they ended up picking that book. And I was like, oh, I've been working on something. And I sent him the worst pitch in the entire world about how he didn't want to see this, but I happened to be working on something. And he's like, yeah, send it to me, you know. And it was this right place, right time. I didn't realize he had a personal interest in Central Florida. I forgot their editor-in-chief had written a coming-of-age novel. And they were like, yeah, no, we we, want to publish this. And I was forced with this terrible conundrum of, wait a minute, is this a conflict of interest? Like, is this going to work? Should I be doing this? They're a client. I'm a distributor. I'm their distributor. I'm going to have to sell this. Like, this is going to be potentially really awkward. And I discussed it with my director and we double-checked and I talked to them and everybody was like, as long as everybody is aware transparent. I'm very careful about making sure that I'm not leveraging my position in any way. And my publishing journey was a bit odd. And it just so happened I'm with the perfect publisher who I've worked with for at least 15 or more years at other distributors. Sounds like you have this great relationship. Yeah. I had thought of them and I was like, Well, no, I don't think they publish stuff like this. So I won't bother that. It's so collaborative. It's just like we're pinging emails back and forth all the time. What do you think? Should we do that? We're checking with each other all the time. I've been in the business long enough to know that this relationship, this collaboration, you don't always get that. And you definitely might not get that from a big house. You might get lost. I mean, we're sharing information all the time. And, and that's so important. It's a debut and you don't know how it's going to necessarily land.
0: Congratulations.
1: What is your process when you're writing? I love spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are my thing. My background, I actually have a degree in fine art. I had two concentrations. one of those concentrations was sculpture i 've begun to realize that I do things very similarly, no matter what i 'm making or doing. I will kind of start with what 's um, known as a maquette in sculpture or or it's like just a, a little sketch or something, I'll start teasing out what do they sound like? A little snippets of dialogue, little snippets of, of character until I kind of have enough of a document and enough little pieces and sides of things. Then I'll kind of start writing, but I'll also be often plotting in that spreadsheet. What is the action? What is the time frame so that I can kind of work out of order when I need to, when I get stuck, but also making sure, you know, is the pace okay? I found for me on the character side, had so many spreadsheets about the characters. What I created spreadsheets about their school schedules, so I knew exactly where they were during a course of a day.
0: Thinking about these spreadsheets that I looked at yesterday, that had like
1: this character
0: was born here, graduated here, but then this one met them
1: there. Yes, I have that. Yes. I have a spreadsheet like that. Yes, all of their birthdays and here are their major life events, color coded. And for one, I marked when he was conceived, so I could kind of track that back. Like. <laughs> It helped me see them through a long period, even though that's invisible to everyone else but
0: me. I've heard that when you do psychological suspense or thrillers, plotting is super important because of those pieces that the little, uh, what they call them, Easter eggs, that you have this little Easter egg over here and this one over here. When you started, did you plan on writing suspense?
1: I did plan on writing suspense because that was kind of part of my core idea. I remember just things like Tales of the City and all the Armistead Maupin books. And you kind of want to keep people like, well, wait, no, I can't. I got to keep going. What happens next? And, and trying to keep that, that level of like tension and pressure up of, of wanting to know what happens next.
0: Growing up and, and up until you started writing this, what were the books or movies or, or songs that you said, oh, I think I'd do
1: this? I think in some ways, so much of what I read was so intimidating. I mean, bad fiction is so bad. And I was so scared of writing bad fiction. All the authors that I have on pedestals, I mean, Denise Mina and Tana French and James Lee Burke, like I can't think of achieving a writing like them, but in some ways too, like reading books that are kind of okay and published by a big house. I'm like, well, you know, someone took a leap of faith on this and that's helpful too. I- I, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm 50. I started working on this when I was about 45. And I'm like, if I keep being afraid, I'm never going to do this. I have to say, it's okay. Go and be bad at something. Fail. This is going to be the least problematic failure you'll have compared to, you know, larger problems you're dealing with in life and just go and try. Yeah.
0: And, just write that bad book.
1: Yeah. And I was like, if it's bad, it's bad, but I'm going to give it a shot. Had to reach an age where I was okay with that. Sometimes you're more afraid of failing when you're younger than when you're older, Mm -hmm. because you're kind of out of time and patience to worry about being bad at something.
0: The two books I have published are set in Fredericksburg, Texas, and there's a karaoke bar there. And I took one of my big sisters there and we'd had a little bit to drink and it's the only I, way to do karaoke. Yeah. I love karaoke. I have a horrible voice, but I love karaoke. And I think I did like only the good die young. I started off saying, you know, what's good about getting old. Your gift shitter fell off years ago. I get to a point where it's like, I'm going to write this book and you're either going to
1: pick it up or I'm going to figure out something else. And that's, what's going to happen. Yeah. I can be bad. Cause you know, <laughs> I'm too tired to worry about anything else right now. What is next for you? I've been putting so much effort into like trying to help it take flight. Last week, week before, you know, I had had this idea, came up with a first line and I started what I do. I have a new thumb drive and I I do have another one I want to start working on, but I just kind of had to get through this. I needed to dedicate my time to, to sinkhole before I could start thinking about the second book. But now I'm like, okay, well, let me let this get done. And then I can start I need a spreadsheet. Now.
0: I'm for a new spreadsheet. I go back and work on the first line throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Your first line of this book I thought was really clever, made you want to just keep reading. When I was 18, I killed my best friend.
1: And I did change it. You know, it went back and forth. It it got a little squishier, it got and then we just went with the harder first line and and so that's I think where it helps me kind of jump off is this is the tone I want to set. This is where we're we're going to go in from. And figure it out from there.
0: That's a tone. I mean, the cover is mysterious. Then you get that first line. It's
1: really interesting. And and that cover is actually Lake Istapoga. It is where it's set. What are you reading now? I just started the final girl support group. I had finished Small World by Jonathan Evanson and The Rumor Game and... Something else. I ended up having like three books competing all at the same time. I had to drive to the airport and down here, and so I, I put on Final Girl Support Group. So far, so good. I'm enjoying it. Listen to the audiobook. The audiobooks, yeah, but it gives me a chance to read a lot more than I'd be able to in my daily life. So, amen. I also just started C.J. Tudor's The Burning Girls. What do you wish you had known before you began writing fiction? In some ways, I think that dialogue. I think I, I wish that I had had that much more help. I was so scared of bad dialogue and, and the developmental editor I worked with was great. And she like, come on, they can talk this out, you know, And, and prodding me and getting me to kind of, again, let it be bad and then fix it. And so I think that's something, I think that I would have probably been less hesitant if I had, had thought about that from the start. Also maybe not thinking it rushing to try to get to a final draft. I think if I had taken a little more time early on, there would have been less revision later on. Those are things that I think would have helped. But I also know I kind of tend to do things in my own quirky ways. And I had to figure out what worked for me. And I had a lot of stops and starts that first year trying to figure out what worked for me.
0: Well, and you and I are a similar age. And did you feel like I don't have time to All take time. that much time? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I felt I mean, like you're seeing these people that are, you know, 30 years old publishing their third or fourth book. And you're like, oh my
1: gosh, I haven't got one published yet. What am I going to do? Well, and, and even just writing, I mean, I was writing this on lunch breaks. I was writing nights when I could weekends, you know, the push and pull of all the obligations I would have at home and at work and trying to legitimize in my own head that this was important and I had to make time for it. And that's, and that's, that's a tough thing. Yeah. Because it's not
0: like you're painting a canvas that people can see or a sculpture. You're creating this thing
1: that may never leave your computer. My family was super supportive. You know, I have to say, I mean, my husband also writes, he's an editor and my mother was an independent bookseller. She's so excited about all of this. We love our independent
0: booksellers.
1: She isn't selling anymore. She actually used to travel to antique markets and then had a specialized line of, of books for specifically for that audience. But I grew up doing that with her in my teens and through my 20s. I do get a lot of support at home. There was a lot, you know, whatever you need, you know, but still it's hard. There's a competition. There's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. So did you have some great books at home? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always, it's always been a pain when we move because there's always been, you know, we've moved a lot, but there's a lot of books. We, I mean, she sold books about antiques, yeah. but because I was at the markets, I I mean, I started collecting signed books and first editions from when I was 14, 15. So I have cases of books, especially mysteries. I, I decided that was my focus. And What's your white whale? I think as much as anything, when I really like a writer... Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a whole lot of, didn't sign Denise Mina, a whole lot of signed James Lee Burke, but Susie Steiner is, uh, had three books, Manon, Bradshaw series. They are mm-hmm. fantastic. And I couldn't find anything here because I started reading them and some of them came out during the pandemic and I ended up special ordering them from a, a small bookstore in London. That is her local bookstore that she went in and signed them. For. And awesome. it's just little stuff like that. I had never heard of her. I accidentally tripped across them and they're, they're, they're so good. I find comfort in books. I like having them around. I just like books and there's no good reason for it, but there's a comfort in them. And there, and there has been for me since I was a child. I mean, I'd go to school and often, ha- you know, always have one with me because I changed schools quite a bit growing up. Like they were constant companions
0: especially if you're a child who, I mean I've, I was the last of four and so there's a lot of age between myself and and my older sister so when
1: you have that dependence on those books they become like a sibling or best uh, friend I, and I was an only child so oh, yeah the TV and books were my best friends and my siblings I have to ask about the rescue dogs the tortoise uh-huh. and the companion chickens uh-huh. have they all been introduced oh yeah they get um, along for, for some unknown reason, the four dogs are absolutely fine with the chickens. And because sometimes they're in the house if it's snowing, or or you know, the other day they knock their door open and because and, I bring them in if it's cold or rainy or whatever, and, and they're tiny, they're little bantam chickens. So the four tiny rescue dogs are fine with the chickens. I don't know why, but one of the dogs, Alex George, has Alex a thing George. against the tortoise. To the point that I can't keep the tortoise in the inside yard, I had to create a pen for the tortoise outside because Alex George wouldn't leave the tortoise alone. And the tortoise is a relatively small tortoise. It's a little Russian tortoise. So how old is the tortoise? I don't know. I found her in in the middle of a (laughs) traffic intersection. Oh, I was on my way to pick up a family member from the hospital. And I thought it was a box turtle at first. And I was afraid she was going to get hit. So I pulled up, I got my car, I jumped out, I grabbed her. And I went again, I grew up in South Florida. I tend to like reptiles, animals, all that. I'm like, you are not a box turtle. And I can't Put you back out because that's bad for you and it's bad for everything so I brought her home thinking well somebody's gonna have lost this little tortoise and I could never find out where she belongs so she came to live with us when we moved six years ago seven years ago one of the reasons we chose the house we did was that it was zoned that I could finally have some hens and I've volunteered for United poultry concerns taking photos for a long time and I really like chickens that are kind of like cats. Every single one has a different personality. They've got all kind of rules. And, you know, I just really like chickens. And I, I the only way I could interact with them, I'd go and take portraits of them for these organizations to help them out. But so when we moved in, of, of all things, our realtor, I was like, chickens. And I ended up adopting a few from her who had some unexpectedly and then Since then, it's been a while. Two have passed, but I have one of the original three from when we moved in. And another one who was the survivor of some type of predatory attack that I saw on Mm -hmm. Craigslist. And someone was like, please just come get this chicken out of here because all the other ones didn't. And I went there immediately. And that's Charlotte. She's clever and she's feisty. And that's, I think, how she survived whatever happened to her flockmates. But Again, they're tiny, they're tiny, tiny little chickens and they're tiny little rescue dogs. And it's a tiny little tortoise. I mean, everything's kind of little. Do you get eggs? Um, no, and no, they're, okay. they're, they're older chickens and they're, okay. for the most part, they're past that stage. I did not know that that happened with chickens. Okay, so
0: chickens can be old broads too. Yes. What would you tell someone considering
1: tapping out a story for the very first time? Do it. Just go for it. Let it be bad. Let it be good get feedback, ask for help, and trust that you have a story to tell.
0: Thank you so much, Davida. Thank you. To learn more, visit davidabriar.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.